Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. My name is Mike Brown. I'm the creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Oh, hello, my lobstered friend. Oh boy. My arm is achy. It's achy and beautiful. (laughs) You have a beautiful arm. The other one, eh. The other one is naked. Yeah, and this, this one, oh, giant lobster. Gorgeous. Somebody said I should get a stake on the other arm so I have I saw, surf and turf. I saw that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the worst idea. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Trump, 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 trump. hungry for poutine i've been eating it a lot lately isn't that funny how that works yeah yeah. (laughs) we talk about it and we just are hungry for it not subliminal no it's pretty direct this is episode 103 103 103 we're three past the live show three past uh, the the uh, century mark wow Mm. if you folks have a head by a century yeah am i ahead by a century like the hip Mm mm-hmm the broken hip, maybe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you haven't noticed yet, we've been giving you folks early holiday gifts. 
Yes, you are loyal listeners. We've been covering these cases that are much requested. Mm -hmm. Rather than just try and find something obscure all the time, let's kill off a bunch of these ones that people keep asking for. Mind the pun. Exactly. Uh, We have one more to cover, and then it'll be on to our annual holiday episode. Oh, sweet. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. This week, we're headed north Mm -hmm. to the Northwest Territories. That's about as far north as we can go. It's in the name. It is in the name. So, I mean, like, hell. We're finally covering a story that has fascinated many Canadians for decades. Oh, okay, I can't wait. Over six weeks, in late 1931 and into 1932, a fugitive known only by the alias Albert Johnson was on the run for the murder of one RCMP officer and attempted murder of another. Hmm, interesting. He led his pursuers on a wild 48-day chase, showing an uncanny amount of cunning and wilderness skill until he was finally caught and killed in a gunfight. Well, spoiler alert. Well, you know. Wow. Pretty much everybody knows that. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> Who knows the story? No, no you me. don't. Yeah, I'm here, Mike. Still today, after many forensic investigations, including fingerprints, an examination of his corpse, and DNA analysis, the man who became known as the Mad Trapper of Rat River has not been definitively identified. Oh, well now. A little bit of a mystery here. Yeah. So I called this the mystery of the Mad Trapper of Rat River. That'd be a very long but great band name. (laughs) Exactly. We'll post links for extensive further reading and sources in the show notes. And there are two books that have been invaluable in telling the Mad Trapper's story. One is Dick North's meticulously researched The Mad Trapper of Rat River, A True Story of Canada's Biggest Manhunt, and the story of the more recent forensic investigations called The Mad Trapper Unearthing a Mystery by Barbara Smith. Hmm. Both really good books, so pick them up. I'll take your word for it. Close to the Arctic Circle in the Inuvik region of the Northwest Territories is a hamlet. Oh. With the population of just over 700 people, originally called Titlitze by the indigenous Gwich'in people. Yeah, I was going to say that. First, it was called Peel's River House at its colonial founding on the Peel River by none other than Sir John Franklin well, in well, 1849. Well. So we've talked about Sir John Franklin in the Franklin Expedition. Yes, he had an expedition once. Well, he had a number of expeditions. There was well, the last there one was he didn't final come back one. from. That's yeah. right. Or did he? In 1848, the place was renamed to Fort McPherson by the Hudson's Bay Company, who built a trading post on the site. It was also the first outpost in the Western Arctic for the Northwest Mounted Police, who were tasked with enforcing Canadian law in remote communities until they were rolled into the RCMP in 1919. Oh, interesting. Our main character was spotted at his camp for the first time on July 7, 1931, by two indigenous men who had the last name Snowshoe. Very cool last name. Very fitting for the region. Exactly. They'd been canoeing on the Peel River and came across this guy's camp. Hmm. They misidentified him as Albert Johnson, the brother-in-law of a local man, and the stranger didn't tell them otherwise. Mm-hmm. It was later learned that he wasn't this person at all. The man had brown hair, blue eyes. Some reports claim that he had the hint of a Scandinavian accent when he spoke. Oh. 
Another report I read stated that he was unremarkable in appearance, except that his arms seemed too long for his body. What an interesting thing. Right? Very what chimpanzee-esque. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that actually yeah. when I wrote that. It was like he's a gorilla. Yeah. But hmm. no, just a dude. <gasps> Maybe he was actually a yeti. Could have been. Mm. So who was he? As this wasn't his name, for sure, I don't feel we should refer to him by Albert Johnson. So we'll refer to him as the stranger or the mad trapper moving forward. Sure. Well, it's Makes kinda, sense. Yeah, I kind of, you know, everybody has called him Al- Albert Johnson in everything that I've read and heard. But if that's if it's not, not really his name, his name yeah. let's not call him that. Yeah. So, so yeah. We'll do it a little different. Let's take that stand. We're <laughs> making the stand. On July 9th, 1931, the stranger arrived in Fort McPherson and went to Northern Traders Limited for supplies. From Dick North's The Mad Trapper of Rat River, quote, W.W. Douglas sold the visitor a 16-gauge Ivor Johnson single-barrel shotgun and 25 shells. Douglas noted that the new man was an ideal customer. Said Douglas, he knew what he wanted, bought it with no hesitation, and appeared to have plenty of cash. Douglas described the stranger as being about 5 feet 9 inches tall with light brown hair and cold blue eyes. He also noted the man was a very taciturn individual. Okay, you know what my question is going to be. What's taciturn? Yeah, what the hell is that? It's quiet. Why don't you Reserved. Say, why don't you say that? Because some people will know what taciturn is. <laughs> and also... It was you, and, you and this author. Well, it was a quote. I wouldn't use the word taciturn myself. Yeah. I would say he was a reserved individual. M- moving forward, though, I'm going to use the hell out of taciturn. Taciturn. Yeah. Uh, now I'll sound learned. <laughs> Probably incorrectly, though. <laughs> Most likely. It doesn't behoove you to use. I was just going to say. <laughs> okay. The stranger stuck around for three weeks, always keeping his face hidden in public, acting skittish and aloof when anyone chatted with him. Hmm. Rumors spread that he had $3,400 in the tin that he carried with him and spent more than 700 bucks on supplies. That's quite a chunk of change back then. Yeah, in the 1930s, like $3,400 is almost enough to buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Or maybe even would have bought a house in some places. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. An RCMP constable named Millen interviewed the stranger during his stay at a nearby encampment. He wanted to get a feel for this man using the name Albert Johnson mm-hmm. and inform him that if he wished to trap in the area, he'd have to buy a license because he sure. didn't have one. Yeah. The stranger told Millen he'd traveled up to the region by way of the vast Mackenzie River system, and that has its southern origin in Great Slave Lake, just above the northernmost Alberta border. Okay. From the University of Guelph website, quote, the entire Mackenzie River system extends 4,250 kilometers and drains 1.8 million square kilometers. It includes three major lakes, Great Slave Lake, Great Bear Lake, and Athabasca, and numerous major rivers, such as the Peace, Athabasca, Laird, Hay, Peel, South Nahani, and Slave Rivers. It's a lot of rivers. It's a big system. It's the fourth largest arctic river system and the other three large ones are in russia wow yeah wow i did my homework you did <laughs> you're a geologist now well, no i'm nothing close to a geologist mm-hmm. well, honorary degree shortly after talking to millen the cop the stranger still without a trapping license hopped into his brand new 12-foot canoe and paddled 20 kilometers up the rat river 
There, according to Dick North's book, the man spent the rest of the summer and fall building an, quote, 8 by 10 foot cabin for the winter trapping season and hunting meat for his food stock, end quote. Did he have internet there? No. He kept to himself, and he was not thought of much until Christmas Day when an Indigenous trapper complained to police about the stranger. Hmm. Traps belonging to Indigenous hunters in the area surrounding the stranger's cabin had been sprung intentionally. Some were tossed into the brush, and some others were hung from trees. Hmm. The man also continued trapping without a license. I can I can understand why the locals there would be quite uh, miffed, frustrated with this. Exactly. Yeah. So on Boxing Day, Constable Millen sent two others, Constables King and Bernard, to investigate these claims and talk with the stranger to determine if he was in fact the one messing with the indigenous traps and ask him about his trapping license. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The two police left, their dog teams pulling them through the minus 40 degree weather. Holy shit. Yeah, we're not talking about like just north of Surrey. And imagine on top of that, you've got wind chill. Right. I, I, I knew somebody who lived in Whitehorse, which is uh, in the Northwest Territories. Yukon. Yukon. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty much the same. And uh, she she would say like in wintertime, it would get it would get minus 40 and then there would be a minus 40 wind chill on top of that. Yeah. It, it, like you, your jeans would instantly freeze. Mm -hmm. Like your walking is... You can't pee outside or there will be trouble. No, no. Uh, and it's, at times it's like, because where she lived was next to a river and uh, the water would particleize and she would say, it's like you're inhaling little shards of ice constantly. Crazy. Yeah. No, thanks. Constables King and Bernard camped two nights and arrived at the stranger's shack just before noon on December 28th, 1931. It was clear that someone was in the shack. From Dick North's The Mad Trapper of Rat River, quote, King's experienced eyes noticed snowshoes in front of the small dwelling and smoke coming out of the stovepipe. In the time-accustomed manner of the North, he shouted a greeting. Receiving no acknowledgement, he snowshoed up to the four-foot-high door and knocked. Mr. Johnson, my name is Constable King, said the Mountie. I have received a complaint about you interfering with a nearby trap line and would like to ask you a few questions. He received no answer. Puzzled, King looked toward the 12-inch square window which was immediately to the right of the door and observed Johnson staring at him from behind a burlap sack. As soon as Johnson saw that King was looking at him, he flipped the sack back over the window." End quote. Would be a bit of a terrifying little moment right there. Just weird. In the middle of nowhere. And like, like without a word. Yeah. You just take like, oh, let me see if I can see any. Oh, there he is. There he is. And now he's not looking yeah. at him. What's he doing? He's hiding. Oh, very weird. The stranger wouldn't answer them as they continued knocking. They needed a search warrant. So they had to travel 80 miles by dog sled to a Klavik to get one. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That took another day and a half. Oh, my God. And it's minus 40. Oh. After getting the search warrant, the two original officers headed back to serve it. Another day and a half. My God. They were joined by Constable R.G. McDowell and Special Constable Lazarus Sitichinli. Wow, well done, Mike. Thanks. They were to act as reinforcements. Mm -hmm. So there's this time there's four people going. Wow. Uh, this hall... <laughs> Be, uh, because of uh, no 
hunting license or possibly no it's hunting license. It's already taken a week. Possibly no hunting license and uh, interfering with people's tracks. Already taken a week yeah. in the bloody cold. Minus 40. Yep. Sleds. Days of sledding. Yep. Feeding the dogs. Uh, having to bed down at night. My, my lord. <laughs> this group arrived at the shack before noon on New Year's Eve of 1931. As it wasn't normal for someone to ignore a knock by police or anyone else, the officers were a little more cautious than usual. I don't know. I hate answering the door. I hate answering the door. I hate answering my phone. Right? Just uh, But I guess back in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't common for someone to not answer the well, door. Well, and at that remote of a location, you know somebody spent some time getting to you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, I, I'm sure they weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Like you're not <laughs> nothing against Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, but they're the ones that but they come knocking. Yeah, and that that you know, so you know, up there, it's not just some random person. Yeah. Like this is somebody who's worked to come and see you. Constable King decided he would approach the shack alone. The other three hung back out of sight and away from the possible line of fire. King walked carefully toward the small cabin, again announcing himself as a police officer and calling for Johnson. King didn't receive an answer, so he inched closer. Oh, the tension builds. The smoke was still coming from the cabin's chimney, and the snowshoes were where King had last seen them four days before. Wow. Oh boy. The stranger was still home. King yelled that he had a search warrant, and also that if the man inside refused to open the door, they would break it down. Still no response. Jeez. From Dick North's The Mad Trapper of Rat River, quote, Expecting trouble, King approached the door from the side, away from the window. He turned partially sideways, extended his left arm, and knocked on the door with the back of his left hand. Immediately, a shot rang out. <laughs> which in the frigid cold sounded as if a bomb had exploded. A puff of wood and dust indicated the shot had come through the door. It hit King and knocked him into the snow, but he managed to recover enough to crawl to the riverbank, end quote. Holy crap. So had he answered the door, had he just at the beginning been like, yeah, I'm here. No, I don't have a license. What well, you would have got a fine? I guess, maybe. Like, what, what is this man we'll hiding, get, We'll get into Mike? it. What is we'll he into hiding? It. As King crawled back toward his comrades, they fired from cover into the cabin more to protect King from injury than to kill the stranger. Mm. The shot, thought to be from a 38 caliber automatic, had hit King in the chest on the left side and blasted out of the right side of his torso between his ribs. Oh. He was bleeding badly. Holy shit, and you're in nowhere. You are 80, 80 miles away. Yeah, from, a, or, yeah a, a day and a half sled ride. From... There too. Yeah. Wow, what a hopeless feeling you must have. Like, mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> the decision was made to get King to civilization and medical help rather than try to enter the cabin. Yeah. Saving the constable's life became the priority, but there was an 80 mile trek ahead of them again. This time, they had one less body to help with heavy lifting over the multiple portages that lay in their path. Oh, my jeez. A portage usually refers to canoes being carried over land between two bodies of water. In this case, they were sleds carrying Constable King and supplies that would have had to be cautiously portaged over obstacles in the party's way along the rugged terrain between the stranger's cabin and their goal at a clavic. 
I'm at this point. I'm picturing. Oh, what was that movie with? Uh, Revenant. Yeah. 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 It's exactly like that. Yeah. King was quickly bandaged and bundled onto the toboggan for the trip back. Leaving just after noon, the group mushed through the night and covered all 80 miles, arriving at 8 a.m. Oh. 80 miles. <laughs> Constable King was still very much alive. This was an impressive bit of ambulance work, considering the weather and amount of barren but oh. rough tundra they had covered. It's ridiculous. And the doctor was away on vacation. No, he oh, was phew. not. The doctor actually went right to work on Constable King moments after he was brought into the settlement. Phew. Although the wound could have been fatal, miraculously, no vital organs had been hit as the hot lead sped through the policeman's body. Holy shit. From a McLean's Magazine article published on October 1st, 1955, titled, Who Was the Mad Trapper of Rat River? Quote, The bullet pierced his stomach, the resident doctor J.A. Urquhart said. It missed his heart by an inch and his lungs by less. Peritonitis, the doctor said, had been staved off by King's fine condition and empty stomach. For his hurry to get to the New Year's party, King had stopped only once the day before for food. Luck and McDowell's record 24-hour run had saved his life, end quote. Whew, I'm confused as to how not eating had helped save him. Well, the bullet went through his stomach. So if the stomach contents had spilled yeah, into his yeah, interior. Yeah, yeah, that could create a severe infection. infection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, now I get it. Now you get it. So the severe infection that it had staved off was peritonitis. See? It's all amazing. Me. It's all, it all making just sense. comes together. It's all making sense. Constable King actually recovered fast enough to be on his feet a few weeks after the incident. Sweet Jesus. So lucky him. The RCMP, however, had to plan their next move. Now it wasn't just interfering with traps and unlicensed trapping that the mad trapper was wanted for. He'd added attempted murder of a police officer to the list, a much more serious offense. Oh, hell yeah. There had to be something more serious going on with this guy. Right? Perhaps he was just like a, a fugitive of justice from somewhere else. And it wasn't surprising in this area to find a person in the north who wasn't who they said they were. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They'd run away from their old lives for one reason or the other. Yeah, you hear that a lot about Alaska. That's why mm -hmm. people go there is to escape a life. Rugged uh, individualists. Yeah, exactly. Alaska, Montana. All yeah. those kind of sort of remote places. Yeah, and you can see Russia from Alaska. Did you know that? Okay, Sarah Palin. <laughs> wow, but yet the, you're taking us back. I am. I am. It's just. It's. I'm like so curious as to this guy's uh, why he's there because that's like he had. He had all that money. He, right? he, you get a fine. He, I'm sure that back then he would have been able to pay that fine probably more than once. He could have just made up another name too. Mm -hmm. Something definitely was going on. And with they this would guy. have been like, oh, okay, well, here's your fine. And he would have gone, hey, let me pull out the wallet. There you go. He kept it in a tin. A tin wallet. Let me pull out my tin and <laughs> get my big wad of cash out. Yeah. A message was sent to Fort McPherson from the broadcast station at Eklavik to the Fort McPherson station, warning of the dangerous man in the area and calling for assistance in capturing the stranger. Yeah, oh, damn right. The group that left Aklavik, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm just pronouncing it kind of phonetically. It could be Aklavik or Aklavik. 
or something else along those lines. So I'm calling it a Klavik because that's how it looks. Yeah, it looks right. Anyway, the group that left a Klavik was comprised of RCMP Inspector Eames, the posse's leader, Constable McDowell, who had been up to the cabin before mm -hmm. with King, and three other trappers who could track the stranger if he'd left his camp and taken off into the wilderness. You, try, you don't hear about trappers much anymore, but back in the day, that yeah. was a pretty sweet gig. Well, I don't know how sweet it would have well, been. Well, I mean, like it was like, it was a legit viable, uh, employment yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Tom Hart, Tom Hardy did it and, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly. Yeah. In that movie. Yeah. The Revenant. Yeah. I want to watch that again. Yeah. Now. Me, me too. Okay. But it's like, you don't, yeah, you don't hear about very many trappers nowadays. No, true. It's not as popular as it once no, was, Mike. Definitely not. No. I check, I check uh, monster.ca all the time. And, and you don't see- I don't see trapper much. Trapper. The Eklavic group was joined by Constable Millen, who had talked to the stranger when he went to Fort McPherson. Mm -hmm. He was the guy who interviewed him. Mm -hmm. And his previous interactions might lead the man to be more approachable because mm -hmm. they oh, knew each yeah. other. Smart. That's good thinking. Precautions had to be taken regardless though. The mad trapper had already shot one police officer. If the man barricaded himself inside the shack, the cops brought dynamite to blast him out of the place. I, you know, as funny as that is, in my head, I was thinking like, that's at this point, that's what I would just, just walk blow, up. Blow. Yeah. Not, not even say hello, just throw a stick of dynamite through the window, be done with it. One of the trappers who was trusted to do the navigation for the group led them in the wrong direction. And the posse was lost for two days forcing them to use up all their food supplies. This is why you got to pick a good trapper. Right. You got, you really got to go over that resume. Yeah. Don't, don't pick the one with bad spatial awareness yeah. and uh, a poor sense of direction. No, ch check the references. Yeah. Attention to detail. Yeah. Check the references. All those kind of things. So the group had to turn back to their camp at the head of Rat River, 14 miles away to resupply. Mm. So this is taking a long time. Like it's, and how... How much does that suck? It takes you two days to notice this. Well, they're lost, like lost, lost for two days. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So they knew they were lost. Yeah. They just had to figure their way back. Anyway. Rough gig. They got their proper bearings and headed out again. This time they found the shack. They surrounded the cabin and called for the stranger to surrender and come out. They even told him that the officer he'd shot had survived. Hmm, yeah. So it was best for him to come out before anyone else got hurt. Yeah, yeah. Especially him. Yeah. The mad trapper's only answer was more gunfire from inside the cabin. This guy's not messing around. No. He blasted away at them from all sides when he'd seen one of them attempting to approach. Even though the police returned fire, it didn't seem to have any effect. According to McLean's magazine, the posse thawed out their dynamite and began tossing it at the cabin. <laughs> yes, yes. Many of the charges went off harmlessly but noisily in the snow. One officer volunteered to make a run for it and climb onto the shack's roof and toss a charge down into the dwelling, stunning the man inside. Or blowing him up. From McLean's, quote, Running a gauntlet of fire, Lang made it to the roof, scrambled up, lit the fuse, flattened out for the blast, then kneeled and peered down into the jagged hole. Through a swirl of acrid smoke, he saw Johnson crouching on the floor, a sawed-off shotgun in one hand, a revolver in another. 
The two men stared into each other's eyes, then Johnson snapped a shot. Lang jumped back and dodged to the riverbank. He knew now that Johnson had a shotgun, a revolver, and two rifles, probably a 22 and a 30-30 Savage, end quote. What kind of dynamite are they using? Well, one stick doesn't actually make that much of a... I think they confused dynamite with firecrackers. Anyway, nothing seemed to work. At 3 a.m. on January 10th, 1932, in minus 47 degree weather, <sighs> Inspector Eames, so you're up all night, you're bloody cold, Inspector Eames was fed up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. He called for the rest of the dynamite and tied it all together. I like this guy. Using darkness for cover, Eames and another constable crept up within a few meters of the target, which was the front door of the cabin. Eames lit the fuse and tossed the dynamite. <laughs> As the two men ran for the door, Eames' partner turned on a flashlight so they could see. The mad trapper simply shot the flashlight out of the man's hand, and the two scampered back to the safety of the cover near the riverbank. So they thought they'd got him. But no, he's still in there firing away and shot the flashlight. Oh my god. This is crazy. Isn't this nuts? It's very nuts. From an article by Nash Neary on the Northwest Territories and Yukon Radio System History Project at rcsigs.ca. Quote, a glimpse at the interior showed that the cabin had been dug out to a depth of about two or three feet. It was quite small, the roof well packed with earth, about one foot in depth, and a shallow small window about a foot and a half by three. Later examinations showed that the base of the cabin had double row of logs and earth packed in between it. Thus, nature, freezing the earth, substituted frozen earth for concrete, the cabin presenting a veritable pillbox. For 15 hours, during which the entire party had many narrow escapes, many attempts were made to have Johnson come out, but without success, and the charges of dynamite being poorly prepared and unconfined proved ineffectual. Mm. Supplies and dog feed having run out, the party was forced to return to Eklavik. End quote. This is a movie happening. Well, right it has here. been a movie. I would imagine so. Well. Multiple ones. Wow. Isn't that bonkers? This is crazy. Yeah. And this is a true story. Yeah. Prying the mad trapper out of his bunker was going to take a heck of a lot more manpower and firepower. Calls were made from Eklavik for even more reinforcements. <laughs> Jeez. The mad trapper's legend started to grow as word about him in the papers and by word of mouth got around. It was at this point that they realized this man was not the Albert Johnson they'd assumed he was. So who the heck was he? Oh, this is a great question. I'm, I'm losing faith in my Yeti theory. <laughs> it wasn't a Yeti. Yeah. And we'll take a break here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. When police returned on January 14th, 1932, 
So 21 days after, it's only like three weeks. <laughs> the Mad Trapper was gone. You don't say. They searched the cabin and surrounding area, but the man had vanished. From Dick Nortz, the Mad Trapper of Rat River. Quote, it was obvious that Albert Johnson was no man to be taken lightly. Eames wrote in his official report, I note in the press that Johnson is referred to as the demented trapper. On the contrary, he showed himself to be an extremely shrewd and resolute man, capable of quick thought and action, a tough and desperate character. End quote. Well, well written. On January 16, 1932, another party was put together and sent out after the stranger from McClavick. This time it included some of the most seasoned trappers from the region who were made special constables to assist with the manhunt. Well. Some of the new pursuers were hardened veterans who'd seen action during World War I. Mm. They took with them more dynamite and even more powerful homemade bombs in case the mad trapper holed up in another cabin. Well, uh, yeah, let's make sure we blow the thing up this time. Well, yeah, they meant business, yeah. that's for sure. The problem was, now, not only who was he, but where was he? <laughs> the stranger could be anywhere. They did find a couple of his food caches and stake them out, hoping he'd return to them mm, so call. they could ambush him, but yep, yep. no such luck. Damn. The trackers picked up his trail on January 28th, 1932, Ooh. a full month after the whole ordeal had begun. Like, how do you, what kind of a trail is there to pick up? Is they, well, they were the, zigzagging back and forth across the area, but like is it combing like, the area, looking for... With that much time have passed, like, wouldn't everything just be snow? I don't know, I'm not a tracker. What? Wow. The problem was, even alone and on foot, carrying a heavy pack, the trapper was able to move much faster than the well-supplied group pulled by dog teams. True, very true. Much like the Ballarat Bandit one we've talked about mm -hmm. before. Authorities were stunned by the man's stamina. He seemed to be able to run endlessly. And it was 50 degrees below zero oh. at some points during this chase. Stop it with the temperature. This is killing me. That's the point. My God. Isn't it bonkers? How is that an actual temperature? How is that like an actual temperature that anybody would want to go out in? I got it. It just... But people do it every day. People who live in, like, well, Portage in Maine and Winnipeg is pretty darn cold with the My, wind there. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Like, yeah. there's warmer places, people. Yeah, like Florida. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Orlando. Oh. Oh, yeah. Perhaps getting too close on one occasion, the group was sent scrambling for safety of a snowbank after hearing the report of a rifle nearby, mm. followed by the whiz of a bullet passing too close for comfort. Hell. On January 29th, 1932, the posse finally caught up with the Mad Trapper, finding his camp in a ravine. These guys are good. Respecting the man's shooting ability and willingness to fire on them, the group tried to surround him quietly. Mm. One man tripped over some rocks and made enough noise that the stranger turned and fired his 30-30 in their direction, and then dove into cover. Oh, stand after a two-hour standoff, which included more gunfire and dynamite blasts, the constable, Edgar Spike Millen, the same one who he'd talked to in Fort McPherson, mm -hmm. decided to advance on the Mad Trapper's oh, position. Oh, goodness. The two exchanged fire, and Millen fell down dead, face first into the snow. He was struck in the heart 
by one of the stranger's bullets and killed instantly. That guy. The police backed off. The man was now a murderer and most likely more desperate and dangerous than ever. Wow. The next morning, the search party found that the mad trapper had again escaped. <laughs> this time, like Spider-Man up the side of the vertical face of a steep cliff what covered the? in ice. Holy shit, this guy. The stranger played cat and mouse with the searchers for another two weeks. An experienced and fearless bush pilot named Wilfred, and that's Wilfred spelled W-I-L-F-R-I-D, his son makes sure that it's spelled correct. spelled correctly. Wilfred Reed, or Wap May, was called in to bring supplies to the searchers and assist in the search from the air. Cool. Yeah. A little air support never hurt anybody. Exactly. So on February 17th, 1932, at 11 a.m., this is like 48 days this after is it get, all started. This is crazy. The posse finally caught up with the mad trapper and they had it out one last time on a frozen river. Ooh. The group came across Johnson frantically trying to put on his snowshoes as Watt May's plane circled overhead. Mm. The last firefight began with the group surrounding the mad trapper as best they could to get the jump on him. Mm. From Nash Neary's article on rcsigs.ca, quote, Johnson opened fire and Hersey, one of the cops, dropped to one knee in the center of the river and returned his fire. Verville, another one of the cops, was close behind Hersey and opened fire. This apparently made it too hot for Johnson and he was unable to reach the top of the bank in the timber. Hersey was seen to come up on his knee and topple over and it was figured that he'd been hit. In the meantime, with the rest of the party coming up fast, Johnson tried to reach the opposite bank when he suddenly dropped and burrowed in the deep snow. Mm -hmm. Many of the party were now abreast of him and called to him, Surrender, Johnson. This is your last chance. He made no answer and continued to fire. And the party, now all being in position, replied with rifle fire. And in a few minutes, Johnson's fire ceased. End quote. It's crazy how the guy, like... Aside from talking with that officer earlier, yeah, the very beginning, like he never said a word. No, that's just insane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You'd think at least be like, "You're not gonna catch me alive, Nothing. coppers." Nothing. One of the bullets caused a small explosion that tore a chunk of flesh out of the stranger's body when it hit ammunition that he had on him. Oh. The mad trapper lay dead, having been shot at least fifteen or twenty times. Well. Hersey, badly wounded, was flown back to a clavic in Watt May's plane, which made it just in time for the doctor there to save Hersey's life. Oh, phew. In 1952, Watt May told a Boy Scout troop in Calgary, quote, Well, that was it. We went back then and we picked up some of the police and picked up Johnson and brought him back to a clavic. They never found out who this chap Johnson was, whatever his name was. He had about $2,400 in cash on him. He had a lot of pearls and a lot of fine gold, too. Nothing was ever found out about the man, so they just buried him at a clavic. What a mystery. Isn't it fantastic? This is crazy. This yeah. is crazy. You can hear Watt May tell his story at wattmay.com, a site maintained by the famous flyer's son, and we'll link to it in the show notes. It's pretty interesting, 
but I felt that the audio was too poor mm, to, to, to use yeah. because it was, uh, you know, yeah. you can hear coughing and stuff. And yeah, kind of, I mean, some people might use it, but I decided not. Yeah. Huh. But everybody can go check it out themselves. Yeah. In the, in the show notes. Yeah. From Barbara Smith's The Mad Trapper Unearthing a Mystery, quote, John Moses, one of the special constables involved in the 1932 manhunt and the final shootout that followed it, threw away his gun after the shootout because he didn't want to hunt food for his family with a gun that had killed a human being. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I like that. And the Herculean hunt for the mad trapper popularized the saying, the Mounties always get their man, What's end the, quote. Where, that's where it came from. That's where it came from. Huh. Wow. Pretty neat. Pretty neat indeed. Also of note in Smith's book were the list of effects that the Mad Trapper had with him when he was finally taken down, as well as the gold and stuff that uh, Watt May mentioned. Mm -hmm. He had a Savage thirty thirty rifle. That was the one he'd used to kill Constable Millen and seriously wound Constable King and Sergeant Hersey. Mm -hmm. He had a Winchester twenty two rifle with the socks the, the stock sawed off. Mm -hmm. He had an axe with a bullet groove in the handle. I guess it had been hit by one of the shots. Interesting, yeah. He had a lard tin that he was using for melting snow to make tea. A bullet had pierced the lid of the same lard tin. Mm. A thirty caliber shell was found hidden in the butt plate of the savage rifle. Hmm. I don't know what that would have been about. Yeah, I don't like is that like just it, like, oh it's not loaded, see click click I, bang. I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah. A saw a sawed off Ivor Johnson shotgun, the one he purchased yeah. at Fort McPherson, a pocket compass, and handmade snowshoes. And that's pretty much it. Hmm. Didn't have a lot with him. Obviously he went through all his food. Yeah. Because you yeah. can't really go hunting while when you're, you're on the run. When you're being hunted. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But I yeah. guess that's part of the, that's probably part of the trapping work, Mike, is, you know, eventually they're going to get fatigued because they're not eating. And that was the plan, yeah. was to starve them out, yeah. chase them all around, and then be resupplied by Watt May and his plane. I think we should be... Uh, uh, police officers up up in the I'm sure that we would do just fine there, Scott. Yeah. You and your sweater and your little page boy hat, <laughs> and me and my my jammy bottoms and my <laughs> t-shirt would do just fine there. Well, I think we'd get we'd dress up for it. Sure, we'd put yeah, on you've the got par a parka. Yeah, we put on the proper attire, Mike, uh, and we would do just fine out in the woods. No, I don't think we would. Evil doers. I've done some winter camping. Yeah, but it's is. it's not. Yeah, it's not mm. my. Not it's, your jam? No. Well, I mean, I, I can do, I can do it, mm -hmm. but it's that, not that something I look forward to. Yeah. That to. wasn't the best marketing pl tool. No. That, well, I mean, I can do it. I have a friend who lives in, in Daco, BC. Mm. We've talked about it before mm. in the middle, like near Fraser Lake. He does winter camping. Yeah. Loves it. Yeah. Loves to pitch his tent out in the snow. He and his wife go sleep in this, in this tiny little tent out in the snow while everybody else is in the nice warm cabin. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I would do it. I would try it uh, if I had the right gear, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Once. Once. Well, I, maybe I do it. And I'm like, this is the bee's knees. I need to keep doing it. <laughs> could it... It could be the bee's knees. You never know. You don't know. Hmm. So the identity of this trapper, the mad trapper of Rat River, remains a mystery hmm. today. Hmm. Over the years, there have been many theories about who he might be. Yeah. A family from Picto, Nova Scotia, claimed a relative of theirs named Owen Albert Johnston had been last heard of in Revelstoke, 
B.C. in 1931. So okay, they thought yeah. maybe it was him. Yeah. Another theory was that he was a Norwegian man named Sigvald Peterson Haskjold. Wow. Yeah. And there were also thoughts that he might be an American who was on the run okay. for other crimes. It happens. Yeah. So in August of 2007, in Eklavik, 75 years after his death, the stranger was exhumed wow. by forensic scientists to attempt to determine his identity and learn more about the mysterious man. Yes, please. According to Barbara Smith's The Mad Trapper Unearthing a Mystery, the investigation, quote, confirmed the long-standing legend about Albert Johnson's frozen body not fitting into the coffin that had been built for him, which stems from the coffin maker's son remembering hearing the crack of breaking bones as men jumped on the wooden lid to get it closed. Damn. Not a lot of uh, care and attention put to no. him. But I mean, he murdered an officer. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. So they found when they exhumed his body, was yep, correct. there was some bones broken yeah. from that reason. Hmm. The Mad Trapper's DNA was analyzed and the above two claims, at least, of the Picto Nova Scotia and the Norwegian man were ruled out. Okay. It was found that he was most likely not Canadian, but could have come from the American Corn Belt. Or he may have been Scandinavian. Okay. All right. I wonder if they'll ever find out who he was. Oh. Perhaps they could use like the same method of DNA investigation they use for eurons. Oh, you know? uh, yeah, I don't it, know. It, how, how, for how many generations has that come and gone? Quite a few. But you could potentially find relatives of his through yep. using that. Yep. If people are loading their DNA into a public database. I, I think that's likely the only... Uh, but who's going to spend money on doing, on doing that kind of research? What does it cost? Like 30 bucks? I'll do it. No, but I'm, you know what I mean? Like, so you upload the DNA and then s some, an expert has to sort through yeah, yeah. all the results. Yeah. It's not quite as easy as just like uploading and, oh, look, it's, there's my cousin. Okay. Okay. So 35 bucks. <laughs> exactly. But it would be sweet. I mean, I would love to get the answers to who the hell he was. Uh, no kidding. Because that's like, because something happened. Oh, yes. You don't like. What you, happened you, was a crazy person shot at police. But there was. I mean, before that though, because you don't go from like, no. life's good. Everything's great. I've got like money I'm hoarding. And he was and, hiding his face. Yeah. Knock, knock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not step one most of the time. No. So he, he was probably a, a fugitive of some kind. Most definitely. Yeah, you know, like he, he knew robber. once his real identity got out, he's, exactly. he's done for. Yeah. So I'm not going to buy a trapping license because then I have to tell you who I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But again, couldn't like, I, it's not like you had a driver's license to prove who you were back then. You could pretty much just say, I'm Smith Longhorn. But why is he hiding his face too when he's in town, right? Well, I don't know. So uh, he could have been. That would mean he would have to, somebody might be able to identify him either yeah. by a wanted poster exactly. or he is from there and somebody might know him. <sighs> Interesting. Mm. So that's it for the, the story this week. But this week yeah. is actually a little different because we have three updates from cases that three. we've covered. Three, okay. Three. Mm. And they're all cases from Alberta. And we'll go, we'll cover them, uh, we'll go over them in order of episode number. Sure. 
So in episode 37, we covered the murders of Lyle and Marie McCann. Mm -hmm. They were last seen in July of 2010 in their RV. Mm -hmm. Their bodies were never found, but punch me face, Travis Vader was later yeah. found guilty of manslaughter in the case and sentenced to life, which yeah. is unusual yeah. for a manslaughter. Guess what? What? His appeal was denied this week. Thank fuck. From a CBC report, quote, based on the facts as he found them, the trial judge was ultimately correct in convicting the appellant of manslaughter, the appeal court said in its judgment. We see no prejudice having befallen the appellant as a consequence of the trial judge's analysis and no benefit in a retrial to test again whether the appellant should have been convicted of manslaughter in the robbery killings of the McCanns, end quote. Yeah, good. I, this guy really disgusted me. Me too. Yeah, he, and as I'm sure everybody, like he was a real piece of shit. A turd. Yeah. We had audio of him complaining that his life had been ruined by yeah. this trial. Well, you know what? That happens when you murder people. Right. You know? What am I supposed to do? Try not murdering people and, uh, you know, life will probably go a hell of a lot smoother. Yeah. Funny how that works. Yeah. We, I mean, I'm no... Rocket scientist. You're no that, rocket surgeon. I, well, that, no, I am that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I am a rocket surgeon. Yeah. So, yeah, killing people is wrong. Yes. It is wrong. And the, those a, people did nothing. Thing. They did nothing no. except be wanting to go to their grandkids' birthday yes. party. Yes. The, uh, Horrible person. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Let's. In episode 41, we talked about Douglas Garland's murder of Kathy and Alvin Lickness and their five-year-old grandson, Nathan O'Brien. Yep. So, Douglas Garland was denied a new trial this week by the Alberta Court of Appeal. He claimed the search of, of his farm was improper and some of the comments made by the original trial judge were prejudicial as the judge commented on the, quote, disturbing evidence that was introduced during the course of this trial. Well, it was. Exactly. The search was upheld and according to the decision document, quote, with respect viewed in the context of this difficult trial, we find nothing inappropriate about these comments nor do we find that they betrayed any bias on the part of the trial judge. Yeah. Garland will be staying right where he belongs in the Who's Gal. Another absolutely disgusting human being, this guy. Yeah. Poor family, those oh, grandparents and that child. Yeah. And then the oh, child's mom God. has to find the, the bloody crime scene oh, afterwards. Yeah. Like horrific. And this guy obviously is a narcissist who can't take any... Uh, responsibility no, for his actions. No, not that mur anybody's murder is okay, but a goddamn child. Like a five-year-old five yeah. child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, just pure innocence. That is all a five-year-old is. I'm very not sad that Douglas Garland has been beaten up a couple of times in jail. No, yeah, no. Uh, I wouldn't use the words tragic. No, no. Stay right there, Dougie. That's where you belong. Yeah. And finally, the last episode we're going to talk about is episode 72, which your wife, Joanna, mm -hmm. was the guest host. Yeah. And we covered the deadly fire at the Klaus family farm outside of Castor, Alberta. And it killed Sandra and Gordon Klaus, as well as their adult daughter, Monica. Jason Klaus, the son and brother of the deceased, and his crony, Joshua Frank, were convicted of first-degree murder. And they, too, 
were denied a new trial this week. They get to stay in the clink. Well, this, these are three great updates. Exactly. And that that's why I wanted to make sure that we added them because yeah. these guys were awful. <laughs> Completely. And people make fun of Canadian justice sometimes, us included. Mm-hmm. And say that, you know, it's too light and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Sometimes it gets it right. Yep. And here are three instances within a week yep. that we've talked about before that got it absolutely right. Well, These guys deserve to be in jail. And for surviving family members, uh, it's a, a relief to have this aspect Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure these people keep fighting in whatever way they can. Yeah. But most ha- family members do. Every, everybody who I've ever talked to about, uh, you know, whether I've had direct communication with them or not, they all fight yep. for justice for their family. Yeah. Well, well, I meant, I, I meant the, the uh, assholes who committed the crimes will oh, probably okay. still continue to fight to try to be free, but at least uh, hopefully the surviving family members uh, can at least- not have to worry about this component and, and move yeah. forward a bit. Well, these guys aren't getting out anytime soon. If if all your appeals are denied, there ain't no more. Yeah, but I guess they'll try to make waves and stuff like that. It's just, it would be great if they could just be silenced. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, that's not the country we live in. Well, I don't mean dead. I mean like if, <laughs> if, if like their inability to communicate outside of gotcha. that little square was gone <laughs> just so that the families never had the... Think about them, hear from them. Deal with them. Deal with them. Yeah, because it's got to be awful, especially coming up for parole over and over again now. These guys applying for parole. Apparently Travis Vader is going to be eligible for parole in 2021, somebody said. Jesus. So that's just a year away. So he's appealing even though his parole is coming up. Or I shouldn't say his parole is coming up. His ability to apply for parole is coming up. yes. I doubt very much that Travis Vader is going to get. No, there's no way in hell, but it's still, we talk about the family. That's something that they like, even let's say it moved to the next stage and, and he was allowed to get a parole hearing. Right. The poor family has to come. They're involved. They have like, they're re-victimized. Yep, exactly. And I feel awful for them. Yeah, same. Um, I mean, we've talked to numerous people who have gone through this kind of stuff, so. yeah. It is unpleasant. Uh, absolutely. And that's it for this week's crime portion. Well, that was a fascinating one. Am I keeping you up? You are. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. <laughs> Honk. Ooh, Scott's asleep. <laughs> it's the life I live. It is the life we live. It's I'm a rebel. Dumb. I'm a rebel, Dottie. It's Pee Wee Herman. Huh? Oh my God, Mike. Wow. Yeah, that was great. Oh, really? Yeah. Not I'm a that. rebel buddy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You're quoting Pee Wee Herman. I'm quoting Pee Wee. Yeah. Well, it's Carol's favorite movie. I know. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Which is a great movie. It is a great movie, but I had a friend who walked out of it when it first was playing. Oh my God, really? Many years ago. Just he, that disgusted by it? He was disgusted by it. I don't know why. I guess maybe no sense of humor or something. Clearly. <laughs> but he was a good guy. I don't know. Just, just not his bag, I guess. Yeah. So let's get on to some Patreon shout-outs. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, I think we had some that I missed again. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> I know. I don't know how that happens. I think sometimes the system doesn't update for a day mm, mm. until later on Some mm-hmm. for some reason. I'm not sure why that happens. I so, got you. Um, 
Let's find this out. Oh, well, we're doing that. I, I, I did. I was on a show, uh, another podcast this week. What? Yeah. Which one? Um, um, that's a great question. Um, uh, something's not right. It's a Nashville podcast. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was, I had a good time. I felt kind of stumbly and bumbly as usual. Mm. But, uh, yeah, some great people there. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, ooh, interesting. So we got one. Here's one that we missed. Okay. It is from Chantelle Copenance from Kenora, Ontario. Oh, sorry, Chantelle. Yeah, totally sorry. She says she's been a, a patron since October and loves the podcast, listens every Monday. Keep up the good work. Well, very kind of you, Chantelle. Yes. Very, very kind of you. Muchos gracias. And Chessie Henry didn't get a shout out either. I feel badly for Chessie. You're really sorry. She about also that. became a patron in October. Oh my where's Pet where's where's Chessie from? Chessie? Yeah. She says she has an interpolite Canadian, so she's admitting to be Canadian. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know where she's from. Uh well if I'm gonna do some detective work and just oh Chessie Oh you're oh. calculating. Yeah I'm calculating okay. Mm. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Where? Calgary. Oh, fantastic. Yep. Thanks, Chessie from Calgary. And what does she do in Calgary? Um, funny, we were talking about it earlier. She's a trapper. Oh. Yeah. What does she trap? Hedgehogs. There's hedgehogs in Calgary? I know. No, it's so not. It's, it's a really, it was a poor. So she's broke. It was a very poor business decision. Oh, well. Yeah, opening up the Hedgehog Emporium Trapping City. Store. You got to do what you got. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe there'll be the the big hedgehog invasion of 2020 is around the corner, and yeah, then then enough. then shit'll be booming for her. I, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it could be. You just you never know. Sometimes you got to do some forward thinking. Yeah, and that's clearly what she's done. Because yeah, so far, whew, not making a dime. So here we have our first patron. From Bahrain. Whoa. And do you know where Bahrain is? Uh, it's in the Stan region. No, my wife knows where it is. Do you know why? Why? They used to travel there from Saudi Arabia. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's in the, you know. It's not a Stan. It's the Stan region. No, it's the Middle East. Yes. Okay. Uzbekistan. Whatever. So, Lewis Hackett. Thank you very much. Or Lewis Halkett, thank you very much. That is so cool. From Bahrain. Yeah. That's that kind of crazy. That, I, I, it's not even a name I would have made up. No. <laughs> Definitely no. not. No. Definitely not. No. Looks like uh, Never Diplomatic has upped her pledge. <laughs> no. We've, we've talked about her, haven't we? Mm-hmm. We talked about Cindy Kemble. Mm-hmm. Terry Bell. Oh, good old Terry Bell. That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar, too. Here we have Per Olav Harstad from Trondelag, Norway. Oh, pretty. So uh, I feel like that was a character in Troll Hunters. In Troll Hunters? <laughs> I love Troll Hunters. Oh, my God, right? My, my friend Morton is from Norway. Really? Yeah. Hmm. He's a good egg. Wow. He's a good photographer, actually. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Andrea Sanchez. 
And oh, she's from Victoria, British Columbia. Of course, that's where all the Sanchez's are from. No, it's not. What? There are a lot from countries that have Spanish-speaking people. In them. Oh, weird. I wouldn't have figured that. Hmm. Weird yeah. is correct. Yeah. Kelsey Osmond Brown. What a what? That sounds like a superstar name. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And she's from Maple Ridge. Oh, sweet. Some more uh, local contingent here. Yeah. I love it when local folks yeah, are uh, yeah. our patrons. Thank you so much, totally. Kelsey. Another BCer. Oh, Shelby Morisot from Merritt, BC. Merritt. With them, isn't there a music festival in Merritt? There is. Country. And I have been to Merritt actually. The, I, I've, I remember going, stopping off in Merritt, and I had some wonderful. Uh, uh, Fries and gravy. That's what all I can remember about. Carol and I have been to the grocery store in Merritt. Have you? Yep. Oh, wow. But yeah, there's a music festival there. Not my jam. It's country music, but you know. There you go. Somebody, a lot of people jam, apparently. A lot of people jam? Well, because I mean, it's like festivals don't do well in BC. But uh, that one's been around for a while, so. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, here we have one from Spain. Oh. Who upped her ledge. Okay. And her name is Alicia Fraser. Okay. That doesn't sound... That see, sounds like it should be from Victoria. So maybe they're on exchange students. Oh, that's all I think we figured it out. Yeah. 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 Oh, She's cool. from Comunidad Valenciana in España. That is so cool. I've never heard of that, but right on. <laughs> I hope it's a lovely place. It sounds like it. It does. Next up, uh-huh. Dwayne Burke from Tway, Saskatchewan. Tway? T-W-A-Y. I feel, I feel like they forgot some co- more uh, vowels and consonants there. Yep. But cool. Someone did correct us that, remember I said it could be Lima, or as in the bean and yeah. Lima? Yeah. It was Lima. It was Lima. Yeah. Mm. And the lady said Scott's confidence was misplaced. Yeah. <laughs> Such is life. It happens. It definitely does. It, it happens. Tway. There you go. Next up, one of my favorite place names to say in the United States, Boise, Idaho. So interesting one. Okay, why do you? Why is that so uh, fascinating? It just kind of rolls off the tongue, Boise, Idaho. And who is this? This is Karen Bufflin, or oh. Karen Bufflin. And I don't know if she's related to Duff, Dustin Bufflin. Uh, yeah, well. Well, his name is spelled buff- a little different. Oh, okay, well, then that would it, be big. Carol always calls him Dustin Berflugan. Buffuglin. Yeah. 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 But no, Karen Bufflin is spelled a little different. Sweet. Well, thanks, Karen. Thank you, Karen from Boise. Yeah. Boise. I See, it's just nice I, to say, Boise. It's not something that's ever stood out for me, pronunciation-wise. Mm, no? Boise. Boise. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't, I don't know. It does to me. Not cranking my chain. Rhonda Jane Smith from Mulgrave in Australia. Hey. Australia. Oh, yeah, mate. Does she sleep in the water, water box? <laughs> Oh. Worms and birds, me friends. Worms and birds. Oh, she might be a bad weather. I bet she's a nice lady. <laughs> she is if she sent us cashola. Totally. Thank you. Thank Jessica you. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you don't know? No, oh. I don't. Well, you might know her father. Jesse. Oh, Mike. What? Samuel L. Really? Yeah. I, I actually... Got to see him live and in person. Well, maybe you saw his daughter then, too. Nope, I did not. You didn't see Jessica? Nope. He was by himself. It was at the premiere for Attack of the Clones oh. in L.A. when wow. Carol and I went to that. Jesus. What a piece of... Mm. It was a piece of crap. Yeah, but they, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that that's 
that's his daughter. Wow. Yep, yep. Uh, and she has a very interesting job. You thought maybe, you uh, you would think maybe she'd follow in the family uh, the acting, path, yeah, you know? no. acting or film or something. No, no, oh. no. She's a fanner. Do you know what that is? Do you know what kind of a job a fanner is? Well, so would she work in, say, if if you were an Egyptian pharaoh, you have a fanner? You've named it. Wow. You've nailed it. You, I actually know what I'm doing for Did once. you even think that that was a job anymore? Once no. It, no? It, no, it is. It, it, it is. It's a very, very... A um, fanner. It's a, it's a lucrative trade because you know that your client is filthy rich. Who else can hire somebody to, like, fan me? You, you've got to have loot if you've got somebody to fan you. It's true. You, and and you, so so she charges uh, an arm and a leg. but Like she can't. actual arms and legs? No, because that would be illegal. <laughs> okay. You can't get paid in body parts. You can't parts. collect body yeah. parts. No, but, uh, no, okay. they, yeah, so, but it's a smart job, you know? Because, like, yeah, you've got like these, it, it takes place on a lot, on yachts often. Oh, so yeah. you get to just hang out in a yacht. It's a really like, a, you know, it's a brilliant, brilliant job. So yeah, that's uh, there you uh, go. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Samuel's very proud of her, as he should be. Yeah. Next up, we have from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm. Not a Philadelphia Flyers player. Oh, okay. Sadly, yeah. but you know, just as good, yeah. Joshua Yoder. Speaking of Yoda, no, it's oh, not no? Baby Yoda. Oh, no, okay. it's Yoder. Yoder. Yes. Okay. Joshua Yoder. Well, thanks, Joshua. Or it could be Yoda. Because be. I've seen ERs. People get all wound up about mispronunciations. You know what? If you don't know, you don't know. It's not disres- disrespectful. Yeah. You just don't know. No, exactly. But so Joshua Yoder, we are not making fun of your name. No. No. No, no. Thank you so Th- much. Thank you. For being a patron. Thank you, Joshua Yoder. Yes. Next we have... Oh, she actually, okay, I click on the link here, and she put how to pronounce her name. Well, how great is that? It is, so it's Holly Saltman. Okay. Well, yeah. That, yeah. So thank you, Holly Saltman. Thank, thank you so much, Holly. Because I would have pronounced it Saltman. Well, okay, well, you we would have done it right, but uh, still, that was super kind of her to yeah. to include that in there. And she's from Florida. Riverview, Florida, and we hope to see you at CrimeCon. That's yes. right. Get 10% off your CrimeCon tickets in Orlando from May 1st to 3rd. Come see Scott and Mike and Carol. Poutine and 2020. Poutine 2020 is what you need to use on the CrimeCon.com website. Do it, because it's going to be a blast. It is going to be a blast. You're going to You're going to want to hang with us. It's going to be a bigger blast than the dynamite used in this show. That was a... <laughs> a little... <laughs> oh, well. So thank you, Holly Saltman. Thank you so much. And we'll see you at CrimeCon, I'm sure. Yes. Amber White... From Cranbrook, British Columbia. Oh, Cranbrook. I've got friends from Cranbrook. I, I like I like the name Cranbrook, too. I've been to Cranbrook. I think I, I stayed have. there for a few days for my friend's wedding. That, oh, that, that happened. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Jackie, and, uh, Jackie and Joey. There you go. Yeah. Cranbrook. Yeah. It was a great place. Oh, my favorite American cities are all becoming patrons this, this week. Wow. This time it's Toledo. Ohio. Oh, that's a great name. Holy Toledo. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great name. 
And it's Megan Childers, or Childers, but I bet you it's Childers. Yeah, it's usually Childers. That's perhaps yeah. usually Childers. Toledo. Holy Toledo. Thank you, Megan. Holy Toledo, Batman. Exactly. What has Megan done? <laughs> You're awesome. Possum. She is an awesome possum. Totally. And here's one. <laughs> this one's kind of funny. It says, Jennifer Murphy from Newfoundland, but she now lives in Victoria, British Columbia. <laughs> but she had to put from Newfoundland. So good for the, you. Je- yeah. You know what? Represent. East Coasters. Love that. Atlantic Canadians are very proud of their heritage. They should be. It's a beautiful place. Some of them are so proud they get lobsters tattooed on their forearms. Giant lobsters tattooed on their forearms. I wonder if we know any of those. Places. Oh, my arm is aching like a crazy yeah i feel like a beaten yeah it's kind of like it doesn't burn as much as it just aches yeah it, and it'll it it uh it gets better mike it feels, it i'm sure better. it'll get better yeah don't worry be better so thank you jen murphy from newfoundland thank you much lee New, the people from newfoundland have comp complimented me on our attention to detail in the dana bradley episode oh, and oh. how complimentary we were to newfoundland yeah I, it's a place I really want to go. Me too. Yeah. I would love... It looks beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to go during um, iceberg season to yeah. see oh, the icebergs God. going by, yeah. if that's even still a thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Sadly, with uh, global warming, who yeah. knows? Maybe there are really, really big ones now. I don't know. Oh, which would just make me sad. Yeah. So let's not talk about it anymore. Let's stop, man. Next up is Iswood. Is from Harrisonburg, Virginia. Thank you so much. Thank you, Is. Cool. Well, thank you, Is. Thank you so, 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 so much. Yeah. Harrisonburg. Yeah. yeah. It just has a ring to it that in my head is like, you know something about there. Harrisonburg, Virginia. Yeah. It's in the Shenandoah Valley. Sure. I like Shenandoah. That's too. a great name. That is good. That's a great name. And, uh, Shannon Doherty? Yeah. Oh, boy. Mm. She was on 902 Virginia 90210. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, but thank you, Is. From Harrisonburg, Virginia. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And last up, we have Emma Walsh. Thank you for having a very easy name. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as, like, yeah. 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 And she is from... Calgary, Alberta. Calgary, Alberta. Yeah. We had just had our uh, in-laws here from Calgary, Alberta. I was just in Calgary, Alberta. There you go. Yeah. 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 It's Calgary's, uh, you know, Calgary's Calgary. I like Calgary. I, I, I prefer Calgary in the summer to the winter, but mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. 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 That, I, I like it, but it's just always been a family rivalry thing. So it's like, oh, we're better than you. We're better than you. So I kind of like jokingly family-wise, I'm like, yeah, we'll get you Calgary. But yeah. I, I but I've, I spent a lot of time there and had some great memories from there. So I like Calgary. I had never been to Calgary before I met my wife. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah well, because yeah. she's from there. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm not. You're not. I'm definitely no. not. So that's it for this week. We, we didn't have any donut money that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. So we're dry on the donut front. I guess people are trying to tell me I need to lose weight, finally. Whoa, that's very rude of you people. Fat shaming me. Jesus. I, How do they know it's not me who's taking the donut money? So I mean, So I mean, like, they could still give it, and it wouldn't impact you and your health. 
future. Just mine. I yeah, well. Bees. Are they sending it directly to you now? Is that what's going on? No, quit, can they? <laughs> if they want to, I guess. <laughs> so thank you so much to our patrons past and present for your pledges and also people who've sent us donut money in the past. We really appreciate your support of the show. Absolutely. We do get some cool stuff like we've gotten jam and other things. We if you some... want to send stuff, like feel free to message us and we'll give you an address. Yeah, we got we got some uh, hoodies on their way. Legsy uh, uh, Charlton sent Carol something really cool in the mail. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a uh, a tea towel with cool. with a chicken on it. <laughs> Very it's, cool. It's pretty funny. Ah. Carol's going to post it in the Umber Yard later, but yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. So thank you, Legsy, uh, and anybody else. If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash dark poutine or for one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, dark poutine podcast at gmail.com. We know it's Christmas time folks. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, you can do easily find us on iTunes podcast, iTunes podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. A lot of people have been tagging us in their yeah. Spotify yeah. videos. Yeah. Holy smokes. And a lot of listening. Yeah, that's right. Like 60,000 hours of podcasts this one person listened to. Yeah. And most of them were us. It, it's just, it, it's like. And we haven't done 60,000 hours of things. So oh my God. Yeah. Apparently I'd... they like to listen to us to fall asleep. <sighs> which I'm well, good with. Yeah. I'm good yeah, with that. Yeah. So check out our. <laughs> it's when you're most susceptible to ads. It's bonkers. Check out our, web... yeah, we don't have a lot of those. <laughs> check out our website, darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a follow or a like. On Twitter and Instagram, just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Mm -hmm. And it will probably won't be another one that's been, uh, people have been asking us about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then time for that uh, holiday Christmas episode that we do. Yeah, that's right. Special. Yeah, it's going to be fun this year. Anyway, until next week. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. I like my apples with peanut butter. <laughs> Why not?